Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a career development podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, looking to change your perspective, or just rediscover your why. I'm your host, Harsha Borolesa, and this podcast came about from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. In each episode, I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them about their career journey, their real life experiences, and to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you to take a fresh look at your career and assist you on your path to a more successful and fulfilling career. Here are some highlights of today's episode. You really have to be in tune with why. Why are you doing this? And it's important to look at the drivers. Figuring out the motivations behind people. And again, it's why we're, the workplace is so complicated. It's Everyone's got different agendas and feelings and, and motivations. And it's, it's figuring out where people are coming from so that you can all align behind the mission. Success is so different for different people. And what I thought was success in high-performance sport was not the same success. Thank you for joining us today. I'm delighted to welcome Ivana Petrich on today's episode. Ivana is a senior client management professional with nine years experience in financial services and asset management in the US and UK, working closely with institutional investors across a broad range of strategies. She is currently a senior client account specialist at PGIM Fixed Income, where she looks after institutional investors based in the Benelux and Nordic regions. She previously worked at Insight Investment, Russell Investments, and BNY Mellon across a range of client management roles. Ivana is a CFA charterholder and graduated from the University of Delaware with a BSc in finance and international business. During her time at Delaware, she played in the women's NCAA Division I tennis team and holds the second most all-time singles career wins. Welcome, Ivana. Thanks so much, Harsha. I'm really excited to be talking to you on this topic today. But first of all, I'd like to start with a, a quote um, with, for my guests. Is there anything in particular which um, you like or resonates with you? Yes, completely. Last summer, I read a book called Playing Big by Tara Moore. And one of the things she says is, your definition of success is more likely to be driven by aspects of your life that can't be fully measured or compared with your peers. You'll feel it. So that's something I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about today. That, that's, that's a great, great quote. Thank, thanks for sharing that with us. So um, when we were chatting, we found out that we both played a lot, of, a lot of sport when we were younger and achieved some success. And I think that in your case, that was tennis. Yeah, it was it was tennis for me, but I always like meeting people who come from sporting backgrounds because it just fills in a lot of their history for me. And I uh, immediately know they've been through some character building experiences. So it's great, great uh, topic to connect on. Totally. Um, and we also found out that there are a number of sort of insights and lessons from sport that we've both been able to incorporate into our professional careers and wanted to share them. 
I think sport and the workplace is such a fascinating topic. And no matter what level you played at, whether it was community or club or even professional, there's always behaviors that you carry with you later into your life. And most of them are good behaviors, but sometimes some of them are are detrimental. And and uh, it will be interesting to to touch on sort of my own experience um, in in that in taking tennis history into my professional life. And I, I hope that resonates with people. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I'm, I'm sure it will. But before we dive in, do you want to give a quick summary of your sporting career and the arc of that? Absolutely. I always manage people's expectations when it comes to to my tennis background. But I, I started playing at age five and my dad built a tennis court in our backyard. And he was so into it, amateur player, but just loved the sport and wanted to, to see me do well. And he was my full-time coach uh, from, from around that age to, to uh, 14. I was quite competitive from the age of 10 playing tournaments and it really started to ramp up to be about 20, 25 hours a week and traveling and my ranking was in the top four generally consistency in under under 12 and under 14 in Alberta. But Western Canada is quite a small pool of players. So I, I was selected to go to nationals a couple times a year. And my, my best junior moment is when I played Gabriela Dabrowski when I was 13. And it was a really close three set match uh, that I ended up winning. But she's done extremely well since then. And she has, uh, she's a grand slam champion and a mixed double specialist. So I always call that my, my peak tennis moment. I peaked when I was 13. Um, but because tennis is, you peak so early, kind of come to a crossroads where you decide, should I go pro or should I accept scholarship money, athletic scholarship money to go to the US? And if you grow up playing tennis, where I'm from, you're sort of groomed to go to the states and and get a scholarship so i was very lucky to go to the university of delaware uh recruited to play on their ncaa division one team which is very competitive very strong conference and it was a it was a total privilege fantastic four years yeah and, and it's amazing i think with sort of uh u.s college sports they they take it so seriously and i think the good thing is especially in tennis you get the same um facilities and resources as the men I think you get to travel um, to these great places, which which is which is completely fair, and and you're almost acting like a professional, but in a amateur set- setting. Completely, the U.S. college system is incomparable. With um, especially, I have Title IX to thank with the number of scholarships that they award to males, they have to give out the same amount to females. So if you get a roster of sixty football players, uh, you you've got you know, eight full scholarships available, tennis scholarships available for women. Um, And it was, I got to see so many states. I mean, the whole East Coast of the US up and down on a bus (laughs) playing matches. And it it was such a, such an amazing opportunity. But Canada is very much like the UK where we, we don't have that sort of system that there is no athletic funding. So to to go to the US and, and have, have that door open was amazing. Great. Um, so in, in my case, my sport was cricket. And like you, I started playing very early. I, I was just eight years old. I loved the game, had some talent and was recommended to the Middlesex junior team. I played for Middlesex and subsequently Essex from the under 11 to the under 19 sides. And I was lucky enough to play a couple of Essex second team matches, which is essentially the lowest level of professional sport. But I was actually paid for one match. So technically, I was a professional cricketer with a very small <laughs> earnings, but um, yeah, I, and, and I had a very short career. 
But I also had the good fortune of, of playing with a number of people who went on to play uh, international cricket, both for England um, and New Zealand. And actually in the one match I did play, one of the guys who opened the batting, and that was my position. And unfortunately, he took the position that I should have taken in that match. And he went on to play for England. So it, it all worked out well for both of us, I think. Good to look back on. I don't know much about cricket, to be honest. I always liken it to baseball. It's like British baseball. <laughs> it's very slow and you drink copious amounts of beer as you're watching it. <laughs> or at least that's what I did. I, I, I think, yeah, I think if you're not a, a cricketing fan, then yeah, it's good for sort of client entertaining. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a strange game, I think. But it's a, it's a nice way to spend the day out of the office, I think. It, it was, it was mm. definitely. So I think the first topic we wanted to talk about was, um, say, self-discipline and how you, know, you have to have that in sport, but also how that translates into the working environment. Yeah, self-discipline, I think, is, is the foundation of any high-performance sport. Talent really only takes you so far, and what it takes to be really great at something, it just comes down to hours. I mean, they say, what, it takes 10,000 hours to really master something, and the question comes down to not if you're going to practice today, but when, and what lengths are you going to go to, to be better than the other players? Are you going to wake up at 6am? Are you going to train twice a day? Are you going to go out and brave the cold and, you know, do your fitness outside because uh, you know, when everyone else is sleeping, it's it, what makes you uh, better, better than others. And what I found really fascinating was some of the most talented people were often quite the laziest, which is counterintuitive. Um, just because you're talented, it really only takes you so far. I think the interesting point about that talent thing is that maybe because it comes so easily to people, you don't know about the grind. And I suppose, yeah, I, I, similar to you, I saw some amazingly talented people, but they just didn't achieve anything, you know, their, their potential at all. And maybe it's because it came so easily that when they struck a, a roadblock or an obstacle, they thought, well, my talent can't get me through this. What do I do? Yeah, I, I agree. There's definitely a point where it, it becomes less easy and it starts to be really not fun um, when it consumes your life and you're training all the time and, and it's your priority. You really have to be in tune with why. Why are you doing this? And it's important to look at the drivers. Is it internal? Is it because you want to win so badly and you love the grit and you love to be out there fighting? Or is it external? Is it from your parents? Are they pushing you? Are your coaches pushing you? Do you, Are you afraid of what happens when you don't win? They're all important things to think about. And that what I love, Harsha, you said in your podcast is rediscovering your why. I think that is so crucial to sport as well as your career. Totally. And it's funny when you talk about the podcast, I really enjoy doing this. And I think that's what helps me. Um, it, it's, it's actually a lot of work, but because I enjoy it, I'm quite happy to spend time editing the podcasts, um, looking for guests, top talent like yourself, Ivana. Flattering. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's true. It's true. Yeah. And, 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 and the thing is, you just don't feel that it's, it's work. It's just, you know, two friends having a chat and hopefully, there are lots of other people listening and maybe picking up some interesting things. And, and I think if you can always get it back to your why, then it just makes life so much more interesting. Uh, I mean, from a, a sporting uh, perspective, I, I love the game and I like to practice and also almost intellectually figuring out if I made a mistake, how do I correct it? In terms of your why, Ivana, what was your why for tennis? What, 
It's an interesting, that's an interesting question. It, I personally was quite driven by external factors. So, so my dad being full-time coach was, was quite a bit of pressure, but a lot of it came from the desire to excel. The attention you got, I know that sounds bad, but the attention you got from being really good at something was like a snowball effect. It gave you confidence. It gave me confidence. It opened up so many doors to traveling to different countries, playing in tournaments internationally, going to a special sports school for high school where I was rubbing shoulders with now Olympic athletes. And um, it just, I, I guess it was sort of that striving for excellence, you know, putting in the work early, knowing that it will pay off later delaying gratification and 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 that type of thing and it totally has paid off in in so many different ways but it was a huge investment for the first very impressionable years of my life but but it's interesting i think with with all of us i mean I, i'm similar to you i enjoyed because i was good at what i did i enjoyed it and that helped to uh, take me forward but i think i suppose when you're looking in your working career and being self-disciplined you need to think about it's not just for the money or the promotion you really have to think, why am I doing this? Is it something I'm really enjoying? And I suppose you can do it for a time for the money or the promotion or the things that come with it, but it's just not sustainable in the long term. I I think you completely have to be really connected to your why. And one of the things I realized when I started working was the formula for being good at a sport, for being good at tennis, didn't quite translate fully in, into the workplace in that tennis was, if you put in the hours and you did the work and you entered tournaments and won your matches, sometimes you'd lose, but it was, it was quite correlated, the effort and reward <laughs> system. And then as soon as you get into an, an office environment where there's politics and it's such a people-oriented business and it's confusing and unpredictable and and that formula sort of fell away and I was very kind of not comfortable with the skills I had to develop to excel in that environment because it was very soft skills how to how to lead how to manage how to how to know who your stakeholders are and be close to them and and it to be honest I still haven't totally figured it out <laughs> it's an ongoing ongoing learning process in a sense a sport is a lot fairer you put the effort in you win or lose and it ultimately comes down to how good or bad you are and the effort you put in whereas I think yeah I totally agree with you work is just much more tricky to navigate and the politics and thinking about who you, you should align with and the work you should do for certain people. And, and, and definitely, I agree that there's not a level of fairness, which you think should be there. But, you know, th- there are all these other things like networking and building relationships. So I think with your career, especially now, it's about thinking smarter and more strategically and thinking about almost mapping it out as you're looking forward. So obviously, I think self-discipline is important and obviously finding your why. I also think you know one other thing that we were talking about is sort of dealing with pressure, especially in the working environment. Maybe you, it's a big presentation, a, a client meeting. How do you think sport helped you to deal with that? I think a great example of dealing with pressure is CFA exam day. And, and that feeds into self-discipline as well, because totally. for me, I took my tennis schedule and just applied it to CFA studying. And, uh, and it was, you know, 25 hours, hours a week of studying at its peak. That pressure of exam day was so much like match day. It was 
get enough sleep the night before, plan your meals, say no to social things, no drinking, absolutely no drinking. And that pressure is intense because CFA, as you know, you well know, Harsha, it's it's an exam over three three years if you're lucky because you sit it once a year and it's a, it's a six hour grueling exam and it's kind of make or break it day. And if you if you freeze, if you choke, if you don't have the confidence in the amount of effort and time you've put into studying and trusting that process, you it, it really is a, a huge test in that. Very similar, very similar to sport. So just for our listeners who may, may not be investment professionals, the CFA Institute is one of the world's um, leading uh, investment uh, professional bodies in education, and they uh, organize this exam called the CFA uh, exam. And it's sat in three levels, levels one, two, and three, and essentially there's one sitting every year uh, on one day in, in the year. So it's just a huge amount of pressure. And I think it's a tough exam, um, technically and academically. But I think, as you're saying, it's really the dealing with stress because it's all leading up to that one day. And I definitely found that playing sport helped me to um, prepare for that. Um, and especially sort of the week before, I remember for my level three, I took the mock exams and went to a library and you know, tried to get up early in the morning and recreate that whole stress and atmosphere of sitting the exam so that when it came to the actual day, hopefully uh, I will be able to um, react in a, in a good way. I still have nightmares. I, I remember a few weeks ago, I, I was dreaming that I had got behind in my level three studies. Oh no, traumatizing. <laughs> and, and, I was, and I had sort of left it right till the end. And it was one of these crazy dreams, a bit like Inception. And I was thinking, am I dreaming? <laughs> I was completely freaking out. That um, is a but, terrible dream. <laughs> but oh, luckily huh. I woke up and yeah, I, I, I did have the exam and I passed it. So. The, the pressure came out for me in a different way in that sometimes when I played really close tennis matches, like let's say it was a third set tie break and I was serving a lot of people. And, and for me, especially, I would just choke on my serve and, you know, the double faults would start coming and I couldn't get it back. And I was, you're like physically shaking and, and obviously um, you either get through it or you don't. But for the CFA exam, I remember, I remember freezing kind of at the start of the second part in the afternoon. And I, I couldn't even write anything <laughs> because I just, I was, but the good thing about that exam is it's three hours and you either start writing or you don't. But I did have, you know, a good, good five or 10 minutes where I kind of just froze and, and luckily was able to get past it with the confidence and trusting the process. Yeah, no, 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 totally. And I suppose things like, you know, when you're dealing with pressure, you know, vis- vi- things like visualization, that can maybe help if you beforehand think about the whole experience. Maybe if it's a big presentation, you imagine yourself in that room just doing amazingly well. And hopefully afterwards, the CEO comes up to you and says, Ivana, go for it. <laughs> You're promoted. Yeah, exactly. It's like the movies where someone shows one slide and everyone stands up and starts clapping in the conference room, like groundbreaking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, um, but my experience of visualization is only when my coaches used to tell us to picture yourself serving and hitting certain parts of the court. Yeah. Um, and we used to set up little pylons that you'd try and knock over. And that was, it, it was helpful, but it, it takes kind of, it's like meditation and that it, you need some discipline like it doesn't come that easy it's like anything else you you kind of have to work for it to get the reward visualization and meditation still comes down to kind of being in the moment 
trusting that you're in the now, that you're in the zone and with you going to do your routine of, of sitting the the level three exam, that is probably on top of weeks of the same routine of studying. So you had that to fall back on. It's just, it's almost muscle memory. Great. But just in terms of the other sporting things, I think things like uh, resilience and dealing with failure, I think that's so crucial, especially in tennis that, you know, even if you're Roger Federer or um, Rafa Nadal, you're going to lose and you just have to be able to suck it up and get back on, on court, get back practicing. Sport does teach you how to lose. And the worst losses that I can remember are the ones where I gave it everything on the court and it still wasn't enough. And those really, really sting. But those are also the moments that differentiate you or differentiate champions from just average people because they bounce back and they're resilient. And I don't think anyone's devastated when they don't try to get a promotion and they don't get it. It hurts when you kill yourself for a year and you don't get the promotion you wanted. It's it's the same type of feeling but you kind of the ones that brush themselves off and and say, okay, well, maybe next year, what do I need to change? How do I adjust? Being open to feedback, not just carrying on with it, but actually making adjustments. Those, those are the people that do well in the long run. And I think that's a really interesting point you make. You, you, I think you've got to put the grind in um, and then ultimately, especially with work, I think there is that huge subjectivity to it. And, and, and as we talking about before, there's not always that fairness. Um, you know, if you put the work in, in sport, generally you'll succeed, but in work that may not always be the case. But I think it's the people who can sort of learn, okay, this is what I've done. Maybe these are the things that I can do to improve and, and pick up on that. Um, and, then, and then hopefully um, change uh, the way you interact maybe with your colleagues or adding new skills. Um, maybe if you're not good at presenting, you go on a public speaking course. Just doing, I think doing whatever it takes, as long as it's sort of ethical and not yeah. illegal. Um, and, yeah. Um, and, and just really thinking, okay, what is it that I need to do to improve and uh, implement that into my professional life? I think that it's a whole self-awareness um, about, about yourself and about your career. Yeah, and you have to be open to to feedback as well. For me, I always took feedback really, really personally. Maybe I'm sure a lot of people do, but for me, it was I sort of internalized the voice of my coaches. And then when I started working, <laughs> my year in review felt like my dad telling me how I need to really get better at my forehand shot because... <laughs> It's just not good enough and you're not going to win matches that way if you don't get more tossed in on your forehand. Um, and it, it took me a couple of years to want, well, see it for what it was and start to reframe it and look at feedback in a different way. And as soon as you take it on board, it's you have so much potential to change your, your future. I, I thought with the forehand, you're trying to hit it flat to get that speed. Um, <laughs> most yeah. girls do, yeah. Most the... Female game is very much just standing at the baseline and smacking it as hard as you can. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other point that I thought was quite interesting is, say, uh, self confidence. Yeah. I personally think that that makes such a difference. If you feel confident in yourself when you're going out to, to play, um, you're just exuding this um, vibe and, and sometimes your opponent knows. Um, I'm sure if, if you have to play Roger Federer or Nadal in sort of 90% of situations, you feel you've lost uh, beforehand. Definitely. And kind of, it has to be legitimate confidence. Otherwise, it, it turns into arrogance. And the beautiful thing about sport is it really doesn't have any room for arrogance because very quickly you will just lose. 
yeah. and then everyone can see your, your true ability. Um, and confidence comes from, like I mentioned before, just being good at something. But there is that element of if you're good at something, people respect you for it, and it and it and it, you can build off that, and it feeds into it feeds into other aspects of your life. Do you think you can develop self-confidence? I mean, say sometimes, you know, we're not always feeling at our best in the morning. Um, I, there, there are these theories about faking it to making make it type things, or um, maybe you need to change your routines. I heard one theory where there was a, a cricketer who just, he, he walked in a particular way, um, in a different way when he wasn't feeling confident. And sometimes I remember when I'm playing sport, you almost like to think, you know, I am the best and you sort of stride out with a, a swagger, which is completely not you, but you've got to sort of create this feeling that you are good. Do you think that that applies maybe uh, to sport and to work, trying to create self-confidence? I think there's something to that. Uh, definitely. I What does Amy Cuddy have, has the power pose, right? If you, yeah, totally, yeah. she said before important meetings, go into the bathroom and put your hands on your hips and <laughs> do a really confident, you know, power pose and, and that will help, help you. And I'm, I'm sure that's true. And other people perceive it to be that way. I think what it comes down to is, is how you perform and whether or not that find find things that work for you. If if that works for you, go for it. For me personally, standing in front of a bathroom mirror with my hands on my hips doesn't really get, <laughs> doesn't really give me confidence before a meeting. But other things do, right? And preparation is is crucial. But I think there's that kind of magic gap between preparation and when you have to perform, where it's just trusting that you've got it, and that's confidence. I've observed in the last ten years or so that women tend to prepared to the point of being a bit detracting whereas I've seen some guys go into meeting rooms and just completely you know off the cuff no preparation whatsoever manage to find all the right words and make the sale and um, whereas women I find are a bit more sort of prescriptive and and have a tendency to, to over prepare in order to get that confidence so I do wonder it's an open, it's a good question I don't have a good answer for it. it's like where where do you get that source of of trusting that you know you've what you've got is enough and just give it a shot and and it'll be fine yeah no i i totally hear, hear you there ivana and i think um po- possibly maybe it's just about being self aware and figuring out what works for you as you said the super superman pose doesn't work for you but there yeah. are things that do work for you and maybe it's just a, a question of figuring out what what is 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 you know what what works and and going with that and I think uh, self awareness is very important there, but I, I personally think I'd much prefer to have somebody who's over prepared than under prepared, and and maybe those people who look as if they're winging it, they probably have done a lot more work than you really think. And I remember when I was at school, all the guys you know when we were preparing for exams, everybody used to say. I've done nothing, uh, but that's just nonsensical. Not how can that? How can that be true? Um, but it's this weird way I think of men just not wanting to show that they care because I suppose if they fail, then uh, they can say it's no big deal. I didn't really put the work in. But if you say I've done the work and you fail, then it just looks a lot worse. But personally, I just think that's a, a silly attitude, and I, I just think, look, it's your career. Really prepare as much as possible. Um, and, and in a way, I think it just has that confidence because I don't know whether you found this, but before, you know, say, um, the, say the CFA exams or any exams, 
I used to do you know, tons of work. And then when I took the exam and hopefully passed it, I always felt, wow, is that it? Um, you know, the questions, you know, they're tough, but I really thought I wouldn't be able to answer this at all. Uh, but I think the only reason you feel that is that you've done the preparation. Now, if you hadn't done the preparation, then it would just look like, you know, Mandarin. If you're a non-Chinese, you know, Mandarin speaker, it would just look like gobbledygook. Do you, do you agree mm -hmm. with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, CFA is definitely you need to be prepared. But again, there's that element of being prepared and also the confidence and knowing that you've prepared. Mm -hmm. And that is very psychological. And I'm not sure everyone has different sources for that. And even the pro players, they are absolutely OCD about their tennis bags. I mean, if you see them walk out on court, they've got bags with perfectly organized, they have like eight rackets, which you'll never use in a lifetime. They've got, per, you know, water bottles with just the right amount of electrolytes, whatever they need. And half the time they don't use it, but it's psychologically knowing that it's there for you. It gives them confidence that they've done all the preparation and if 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 they need it if they need that eighth racket then they'll use it but yeah no no i i totally agree and and i i heard that roger federer he likes to have these um I, I don't know exactly what it is but certain things put into his racket strings um which you don't need at all and it, uh, but he just has that he, he he's used to having them there and his uh, like racket stringers hate him for it because it just means there's so much work to do um i remember once probably silver or part of an animal or something no no i i can't remember what it, it's in the, the the actual string itself that in mm. the garden i can't don't know what the technical term is and i and i once saw him practicing and there's like this guy um literally just carrying this bag around um and i was thinking like that's an amazing job you're just carrying roger federer's bag around <laughs> but he was actually the racket stringer oh yeah full-time job yeah exactly <laughs> Not a bad gig. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, another thing that I, I, I find quite interesting is the whole idea of teamwork. Obviously, in tennis, you're on your own to some extent, unless you're playing doubles. But in the working world, you, you have to, you're always working in teams. And I think it's really important to figure out how to navigate that. It is. It is. And tennis is a funny one because it's such an individual sport. And I didn't really have that team experience until I went to Delaware. And all of a sudden, I was on a team of eight girls from all over the world from Sweden and Mexico and obviously the US and when you're spending so much time with them and you're playing doubles with them you have to figure out how to all get on and especially on doubles I mean there's a lot of times where you're matched with someone that you don't necessarily get on with that well from a personal <laughs> point of view but you still have to go out and win matches and yeah, sometimes it's the yeah. best kind of doubles pair where you just your games match each other well and and that's kind of all that you put everything else aside and the workplace is, is the same. But I think one, one thing that is important, and I think you touched on, is that in the working environment, in a team, everybody is not going to be your best friend. But you just have to figure out a, a way of getting on with these people. And maybe if you have a common goal, uh, say at work, and you're working towards that, or just really try to understand a bit more about them. Because I think sometimes people just don't make an effort to really understand their colleagues. Um, and sometimes people who, who you think are not that great if you dig a bit deeper maybe their underlying reasons or you know they they uh, are not very good at interacting with people but i think if you try and look for the good in them rather than the bad that also helps the situation i i do think so i think figuring out the motivations behind people and again it's why we're, the workplace is so complicated it's everyone's got different agendas and feelings and 
and motivations and it's it's figuring out where people are coming from so that you can all align behind the mission and what as soon as you have the bigger picture of what are you all trying to achieve you can kind of focus on that rather than the smaller issues that that crop up when you're trying to gel as a team yeah because i think sometimes because you are working so closely with each other these very small things um can get completely blown out of a proportion and I think it's it's a it's a strange situation because you have all these su- you know, super competitive people, and maybe there there are a number of you who are uh, at a relatively similar level. But then only maybe one of you can get promoted. Um, and I think you laughed at this. Maybe your rival gets the yeah. <laughs> yeah your work rival gets the promotion and you don't. So so it's a bit of a weird situation because sometimes I suppose in a in a team environment. Um, you can say a sporting team, if you're all doing well, then you'll all be retained in that team um, and you'll get paid. But I suppose at work, it's this strange dynamic that only so many people can get promoted to that next level. So I suppose that also adds to the tension. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But but I, I do think one thing that can help is rather than thinking about these small term steps, I think think you know stepping back and thinking strategically and just thinking about okay I'm Ivana Petrich Limited these are my assets um, and this is how I'm going to navigate my career going forward and just thinking about the long game and thinking how um, how I can upskill myself how how I can make myself better so that my boss has to promote me um, maybe that's a, a a better way of thinking about it I mean w- what do you think. I think it goes back to what we were talking about before and that if you really enjoy what you do, you're kind of naturally just going to put more hours into it. It's not going to feel like a chore and the hours are going to rack up as you put that work in, you're just going to get, you're going to get better at it. So it's, it almost, it should feel easy in a way if you're in the right spot, if you're trying to force yourself into a position that you think you should be in, and again, it's connecting to the why. Why am I doing this? Is it because I want to be here or because I feel like I should be because I want to be on this salary or work in the city or have this sort of perception? And and that stuff really catches up with you um, if, if you're not in it for the right reasons. I think that's a really interesting point you make because, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm really into neuroscience and psychology. And part of the reason of this podcast was to see how that applies to the working environment. And I think that point you made about you know, perception is really thinking about how do I perceive myself? How do I perceive my career? What am I trying to get out of it? Um, and I think that's really important rather than just sometimes you, you're so stuck in, in doing the work. You, you forget about the bigger picture um, that's there. And, and really, um, I think it's really important to understand why, why you're doing these things um, and, and also to be happy because I think if you're not happy, then what's the point? However much money or if you're a VP or a director, it just doesn't make up for all of that. Don't that's think- so true. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I have had a personal experience where because I sort of took the the tennis mentality into my working life of, you know, number one objective is winning and anything that didn't align with that objective, you just didn't do. So it was quite selfish. It was like, it's about my training and my tournaments and my schedule. And that is the priority. And when I took that into the work world, it was like, I want to work for the best firm. I want to work with the best in class. I want to work with people who excel in their fields. And it was just so interesting to observe that this whole belief system 
that I had taken with me into my 20s and 30s wasn't working because my I started writing down my new version of success and I was like well, if that wasn't success I thought it was but it turns out it's not what is success to me and when I wrote everything down it was things like mentoring developing other people um more leadership roles more advocating for people more inc- uh more inclusivity being part of a team where everyone contributes and I was like hold on a second this is everyone's included everyone contributes to the best of their ability you help develop other people you give back it's all stuff that is harder to measure and isn't immediately or obviously rewarding i guess the biggest takeaway from from this session is success is so different for different people and what i thought was success in high performance sport was not the same success in the in the workplace because it just i found myself you know age 30 being being like how have i gotten here <laughs> this is this is a terrible situation to be in um so now i'm at a point where those those skills are sort of they're they're rusty you know developing other people giving giving back they're it's very counterintuitive to what my tennis days were like where it was all about you know me 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 win 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 and but it's so much more rewarding and it's things that will keep me going for longer um even though they're harder to measure two interesting points from that Nirvana one you had the maturity to you know walk away because that is just not not easy um and i think there's that song i think it's by Kenny Kenny Rogers where he talks you know like the gambler you've got to like know when to hold them know when to fold them and like know when to walk away <laughs> exactly i just yeah. i just love that line like walking away and you just think i've had enough i just need to move on and i think yeah. that's such a mature attitude to take that yeah you you can struggle and maybe you can succeed by being promoted but if you're not happy uh, what what's the point who who are you doing this for it's it's crazy no it's not worth it you have to be in the right environment and it's so funny it's so funny when you unravel things and you're like how did i end up in this position oh cuz i came from here well how did i get to there oh cuz you came from there but how did i get to there and it ravels all the way back to very early years of of what sort of your principles and convictions are and if someone else was defining them for you and as an adult i had to go back and check hold on a sec does that still apply i think that's such a great way of 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 looking at it because i think you can only understand your present and and your future by looking back in your life and figuring out how you got there you need to figure out how you how you can make your uh working career sustainable going forward because you could do it for a short period of time but in the long term it's just too hard that's the great thing about working and and careers is you have so much time to figure it out i mean tennis and any sport you're limited by well physically time wise in tennis's case you peak when you're 14 and that's that's it that <laughs> you've just got so much time to figure it out totally agree with you that if if i look back on i probably played 10 years of cricket at a very decent sort of level and then you go through these ups and downs but essentially from eight you know i started at you know 7 or 8 and finished at 19 20 and you you almost feel as if you've retired at 19 or 20 i don't know what 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 age you stop but you've packed all this life into a very short career and it it made me really think look um you know when i start working i i've been through this situation where i come out on the other side and i really want to try and make the most of all the opportunities 
that I that I'm given uh, at work. And sometimes I think it's that awareness of the shortness of your career that helps because there are, there are cricketers who I played with and you're thinking uh, it, it's tough for them because maybe you finish at 30, 35 and you've got 30 years to live and uh, work and, and make some money. And, and even if you have enough money, you still have to find a way of filling those hours. And sometimes I think with sportsmen, they end up in unfortunately bad situations because you know you don't have the fame, you don't have the adulation. You almost have to like figure out how do I you know, live your life? But whereas yeah. I think with career professionals, it's completely different. Yeah, it, but I also see it in, uh, so people who are successful at college sports, so a lot of football players, you know, if they were the star on campus mm. and then they graduate and they're like, hold on a sec who am I because I was so defined I'm not one of those people because tennis was so love hate for me and when I graduated I stopped playing when I was 21 competitively and I was like thank god I'm done with that I threw my rackets under my bed I didn't play for four years I kid you not did not play for four years but a lot of people have trouble redefining who they are after sport and that's like you said the professionals that get into the not so helpful behaviors it's because they don't have they don't know what to fill that gap with. And, and that's what I mean by shifting success. I mean, for them, they probably feel like, oh, I don't have that high that I used to. I was so famous and made so much money. And then, but it's just now is the time to flip it and start giving back and find other things that are more rewarding. People do have much more time, I think, than, than you realize. So maybe in a sporting career, it's 10 years, but really in a working career, it's 40 or 50 years. So sometimes I think we were talking about this, just try things. Maybe it might not work. Maybe it might work. But I think even if it does end badly, I think there are still things that you can learn from that uh, experience. Totally. I mean, I've been working for 10 years and I am just starting to figure it out. Like just <laughs> getting to grips with with my areas of weakness and how, how I need to adjust and what I want to focus on. It's sort of maybe think about pivoting or adding a skill or just doing something different to shake things up. Because I think if you, it, it's really important to keep trying new things because you never know where your skill sets are. Um, I mean, just take for me, three months ago, I was thinking, I, I thought about doing this podcast and now I, I still don't understand how I managed to get through all these bits and pieces. And actually, when you get to the other side, you think, wow, that's a, uh, an achievement. Whether the podcast is good or not, you've still managed to launch it. Um, and I just think that there are always things that you can pick up no matter what stage in your life. Yeah, I really respect you for starting the podcast. <laughs> I, I think I wouldn't have the guts to, but it's obviously something that you enjoy and you're, you're good at and, you know, just, just see, where, see where it goes. Yeah, well, you have top talent guests like yourself, Yvonne. I mean... <laughs> I'm so flattered. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the the other thing I, I found quite interesting, I, I don't know how you find this, but um, the idea of luck, you know, maybe they look at your career and they think, wow, you know, she um, got this scholarship to Delaware. I mean, how lucky is that? She's this great tennis player. Obviously she's talented. Um, I mean, it helps. I think you're quite tall, aren't you? Five foot 10, I think you mentioned. Five 10. Yeah. yeah, it helps. Yeah, it helps. But, 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 I, but I think that, there, there's also a lot of work, hard work involved behind it. I and mean, what's your what's your view of luck in terms of your sporting career or or maybe your uh, working career? I don't want to sound too cliche, but luck, I really believe, like luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. <laughs> so in the short term, there's some things that'll work for you and some things that don't. And in tennis, it's one of those things where now that I'm old and washed up, I play instead <laughs> of a full instead of a full third set. <laughs> 
uh, third set, we play these 10 point tie breaks and they're always such a, a, such a gamble. So we'll be in a, you know, really close match with this opposing team. And it comes down to this stupid 10 point tie break, which is 50, 50, like you might as well flip a coin. Yeah, yeah. And that's when it kind of just comes down to luck. But in the long run, let's say you play 10, 10 point tie breaks, yeah. it's going to go whichever favorites meant to the better player is going to get six or seven out of 10 of them. Yeah. Yeah. Without but, a doubt. Yeah. Yeah, but a single one is just you know, flip a coin and just deal deal with the outcome. Just brush it off and move to the next one. But but I, I was thinking just in terms of you know opportunities. I I believe that you know luck has played a massive part in my career. If you're not in the right frame of mind, you don't go for it. Where uh, and 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 is that luck or is that self awareness? I, I I don't know. I feel there are always opportunities out there. Um, and quite a silly thing is that when I was at, when I started my first job at uh, Ernst & Young, I had the bright idea of learning Japanese and it, it took me nowhere within the firm, but I ended up doing Japanese lessons with these guys, actually senior managers and, and some partners in the tax department. And I became friendly with them and you know, they quite liked me and they said, look, why don't you come along and do a succumbent with us? And that was a massive opportunity. And, and I was just thinking how wow. if I hadn't um, you know, learned Japanese and then had these lessons with these guys, then that opportunity just wouldn't have come along. And, that, and, and I hadn't really thought about it strategically. And the funny thing is that I'd actually written to, I, I was on the audit side at that time. And I'd written to all these audit managers saying, oh, I'd love to be in your client. And none of them had written back to me. <laughs> So, <laughs> so what I was thinking was strategic didn't work out, but when I was mm. winging it, it worked out. Um, so, and, and I think sometimes if you, if you have say bad luck, yeah, that, I think that happens to everybody, but it's just a question of it's happened, shake it off and, and move on like in, in tennis, or maybe you don't get the promotion that you think you deserve or um, you know, the presentation doesn't go that well these things happen everything can't always go well i like what you said about luck being the right headspace to see it because i think it is so much about putting yourself out there and being open to this sounds quite loopy because my mom's a yoga teacher but i do believe in it and that opening yourself to the world and letting it just meet you with what is meant to come your way and i feel that way about when i moved to london you know i was done with tennis i graduated it was the best day ever and I felt like anything in the world was possible. And I just, I knew I, I'd lived for, in the States for five years at that point. I knew I kind of wanted to move internationally, but I just didn't know what it looked like. And I kept sure. putting myself out there and applying. I think I applied for jobs in you know, Singapore, Ireland, all over the world. <laughs> and then ended up, oh, I was just like, where am I meant to be? The world <laughs> needs to know where I should go. I guess you could call it luck within my firm, someone kind of just got wind of of my cv and took a chance on me after a 20 minute phone call and said can you be here in a month and i said wow absolutely cool. I sold everything in my apartment gave my cat away <laughs> hopped on a flight and eight years later i'm i'm still in london was it luck yes but was i also looking for it yes and and i was ready for it too so it's a combination no, and, and it's funny because i think it's that just being having that thought in your mind because when I'm looking for sort of guests on my podcast, apart from the people that I know, I love watching YouTube and, and figuring out are there any interesting people on the self-development space. And one, my second guest, a guy called Christian Bush, 
he um, wrote this book called The Serendipity Mindset. And there was a really interesting talk on YouTube. And this was literally during lockdown about five or six months ago. So I was watching YouTube and I thought, hey, this guy seems interesting. And I just sent him a random email through, well, you know, through, through LinkedIn thinking, yeah, he's probably not going to reply, but he did. And I managed to get him on a CFA UK webinar and then also get him on the podcast. And now is that luck or is that just me changing my perception to thinking, why not try? Yeah. And also remembering though, it's, you have to try quite a few times before you get the ones that, that work. It is serendipity. I, I love that word. But uh, you've, you've got enough. You have knocked on quite a few doors <laughs> to, yeah. to be able to get that opportunity, and keep going. And hopefully, you'll get that break. And and just having the mindset of okay, I've had the rejection, but I'm not going to let it stop me. Say applying for jobs, you might have to apply for up a hundred to get that one. Maybe you're lucky; you could get in the first ten, but then it could be number hundred. And you've just got to think, oh yeah, got to keep going, and and maybe things are going to work out for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. And I think it's really important to just focus on your own race and not to worry about how other people are doing to to some extent. Do do you agree? I am so over comparing myself to other people. (laughs) And it comes from my dad and coaches just sort of, we'd be at tournaments and there'd be, you know, the number one seed practicing and they'd be able to look at her. You need to be more like her. See what she's doing. Okay. What makes you watch? And you want to be, it's just constant comparing. And even at that age, you know, everyone's 13, 14 and comparing heights and uh, <laughs> training schedules. Like it's tennis That's is crazy. probably even one of the better. Yeah, but there are even worse sports out there. I don't even want to get into it, but, you know, synchronized swimming and gymnastics where it is borderline unhealthy, how much comparison there is in order to excel. And I think it's always best bring it back to yourself and just say to yourself, look, am I developing? Am I enjoying my career? Am I learning new skills, uh, learning things that are going to help my career? And I think that's a much more healthy way of looking at things. I, I completely agree. And it's, it's again, like we said, finding what you're good at and what you enjoy and then kind of putting, still being open to feedback and obviously adjusting along the way, but kind of just putting blinders on. We call them blinders. What do you call them? You call them um, for the horses. Is it blinkers? Or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> blinkers. You call them blinkers here, but putting blinkers on and just not uh, LinkedIn is a bit of a trap. I, I find sometimes it's handy, but also, you know, when you go and you see that someone your age is now managing director at a large investment bank, it's, it's just so not, it, there's no point. Like they're on a totally different trajectory. Who knows what sacrifices they've had to make? Who knows yeah, how happy they are? Correct. Exactly. Absolutely no clue. They're, again, their version of success probably looks very different from, from yours or mine. And if you know your own definition of success, then it shouldn't even matter. It's just irrelevant. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point you make. Do you think there are any sort of a, a summary of points that um, you think, you know, say if you were starting your career again, um, maybe that might help you navigate your career in a better way, or even for people you know, in the middle of their career. What, what do you think are the, the sort of the key points, key takeaways that you think might be helpful? I think the if I were to go back and talk to my 17-year-old self, I think it starts even before your career. I think, at least in the US, kind of what you pick out as a major in university is quite defining. I mean, here in the UK, it's you can do geography and then end up in finance and nobody (laughs) questions it or ancient history and you end up working for an asset manager but in the U.S. it's a bit more streamlined like you kind of decide 
in your second, you declare your major in the second year and then you kind of, it sets you on a certain path. And I guess what I would tell myself then is, is don't be afraid to follow your instincts and what you, what kind of lights that spark in you, uh, as opposed to what you think you should be doing. So tennis for me, I've mentioned before, super love hate relationship, but there's so many benefits from it. I felt like I needed to keep doing it because it was like uh, I should play tennis because it leads to X, Y, Z. The tables kind of turned as as I got older and that didn't really work anymore because I started making choices based on what I felt I should be doing rather than what I really wanted to do. Yeah. And it still paid off. I mean, CFA, I really don't think anyone wants to do CFA. Like, let's be honest, <laughs> it sucks. Uh, but that you get the benefits from it, right? And it's kind of a trap. It's like you could spend your whole life just doing that whole, you know, uh, investment reward kind of dance. But it, it, it's missing the point sometimes about, oh, but really, what makes your heart sing? Like, what what 20 years from now is going to keep you going? And And a lot of the times it isn't money it's not status it's pretty deeper level stuff like giving back and mentoring and helping develop other people and making positive changes to the world in your own way and like i said before so difficult to measure it's not win or lose like in tennis it's very intangible it's very subjective you don't immediately get paid for it but it's the more longer lasting stuff that is is the opposite of a high performance mentality really, because it's about other people and how you can give to them rather than putting yourself first. Sure, no, that, that's interesting. But but on the other hand, I suppose things like uh, you know, uh, being disciplined and getting through the exams, that that's obviously helped you um, in your career. And also, I suppose, just navigating the work environment, um, that you know, learning how to do that, that's that's been helpful for you, picking up those, those sort of soft skills. 100%. 100% I, I would do CFA again. I obviously so recommend pushing yourself towards excellence in that regard. But I guess the trap I fell into is it's not the be all and end all. It's sort of once you tick that box, there's there's still other factors that come into play besides besides getting those letters after your name. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and, and I totally agree with you. I think, look, qualifications, it's important to put them in their context. Um, and But because obviously I think with the working environment, there's – it's a much bigger picture. It's figuring out uh, uh, who who you uh, how to interact with people, who are the right people to um, help manage your career to some extent, but but also uh, taking charge. I think of your career. I, I personally find that don't wait for your career to evolve. Almost look sort of two to three years down the line. Uh, and I know it's hard, but just think where do you want to be, and then almost reverse engineer it um, and just think what are the steps I need to to take to get to that position and maybe all those steps may not work out but at least if you know where you're trying to get to then at least that gives you some sort of guide yeah you need that that's a good point you definitely need that but it's it's almost like have that plan and have that sort of five-year goal but also hold on to it kind of loosely and I think the tennis kind of trap is holding on to that objective so tightly that there's no room for anything else you can absolutely have a five-year plan but leave room for other stuff to come up I mean let's say someone goes on maternity leave and you try out their role and and you think wow this is actually I need to pivot in this direction (laughs) and it's being it's if you're too rigid it's almost too much you need a balance of of having plan having the discipline but also knowing when to take your foot off the gas 
kind of let yourself be open to other opportunities. And I, th- I think that point about flexibility, I think that is is really important. You know, you, you do have to have the ability to pivot and maybe do something different at certain points in your career um, and not not be too rigidly stuck in in, in one direction. So, yeah, I mm-hmm. think that that's um, that's a really helpful point. Um, and Ivana, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us or give a shout out to anybody? Maybe your mom? Well, yeah. Oh, my mom's great. I definitely shout out to my mom. But I mean, definitely a big shout out to my dad because as much as ever as I give him hell for, you know, the, the coaching years that we had, he it was such a gift. I mean, he the gift of sport, the fact that he you can go move to the other side of the world and pick up a racket and make friends. I mean, that's the yeah. great thing about tennis is I can just go meet anyone. And, and um, you know, my tennis club now is like a, a absolute family. I'd be lost without them. And it's all because of the, the gift of sport and my team at, at Delaware. I mean, they're my, they're my closest friends and meeting people from all over the world who, who you can share that with. So thanks dad <laughs> thanks for building a court in our backyard when when i was born ivana is not going to break down now. <laughs> it's still there it's holding up well no, but, and, and, and also to to valerie as well <laughs> to your mom oh yeah well the, the good thing about val is she because she's a yoga teacher she saw this coming from a mile away when sure. I was training my 25 hours a week for <laughs> 12 years. And she was there to catch me on the other side. Let's put it that right. way. She uh, helped me balance. When we talk about the sort of the self-discipline and the letting go, she was the letting go part. <laughs> and she's helped, helped me a lot with that. So it's good to have both perspectives. Excellent. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, I totally agree with you. My Both my, my dad and my mom, huge influences in my sporting career and definitely cricket has given me so much um, in life uh, and without it, it, it just wouldn't be the same. So yeah, got a big shout out to both, both our parents. <laughs> Do you still play cricket? Can you play? No, I, is it easy to? No, I, I stopped literally when I was in my like 1920. It was one of those things where I needed to practice um, to and I like practicing in order to be good and the, the setup just wasn't there. Um, so, but, but I think, it, it, and I never wanted to sort of look back and think, um, yeah, I wasn't enjoying it that much. So I just thought, look, I've, I've got to level, you know, pretty decent level. And then just, yeah, I, I thought better to have good memories rather than always looking back and having this sort of love hate relationship with the whole thing. Yeah. I have very positive, very good memories um, from cricket. So, yeah well the good thing about tennis is is you can play kind of with a little equipment and well into your old age but the frustrating thing about it is remembering how I used to play and then playing now (laughs) it's just bringing my expectations down yeah no no without a doubt (laughs) well Ivana thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us I think we've had a really wide-ranging uh, talk today discussing you know, various different aspects. So really appreciate your time. Thank- thanks once again. Thanks so much, Harsha. Brilliant. Bye, Ivana. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. I really enjoyed it. If you would like to listen to more episodes, then please consider subscribing to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers. And subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Stay safe 
and look after yourself. I hope you will join me again in the future.